Heads up, friends. The unofficial Shopify podcast is made by indie entrepreneurs for indie entrepreneurs and may contain material not suitable for all audiences, like swearing or economics. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, you ever heard the story of the <laughs> diligent store owner who spent weeks perfecting their Shopify store only to see their hard work disappear after a simple mistake wiped out critical data? Their sales took a hit, their customers were confused, and they had to scramble to redo their work. Oh, what do we think of that, children? Now imagine they had out of the sandbox's Theme Updater Plus app with its new Vault Backups feature. In that scenario, the data loss disaster is averted, the store downtime eliminated, because they could just go back in time with Vault and get back to selling. That could be your story, my friend. Each day without Theme Updater Plus, your store remains at risk. It's a ticking time bomb. But with Theme Updater and its Vault feature, your story becomes one of seamless transitions and preserved efforts. Created by Out of the Sandbox, a theme developer trusted by over 80,000 e-commerce stores, Theme Updater Plus Vault Backups is the plot twist your Shopify store needs. Don't let your store become a tale of loss and disruption. Make it a success story with Theme Updater Plus with Vault Backups from Out of the Sandbox. Search for Theme Updater Plus in the Shopify App Store or go to outofthesandbox.com to learn more. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster, a.k.a. Jack Nasty. And this is the unofficial Shopify podcast, where the show that unravels the mysteries of e-com offers insider tips. It stirs up fascinating stories from the Shopiverse, all for you, our beloved Shopify entrepreneurs. And today, we're going to venture into the attractive world of crowdfunding. It's a, a powerful, misunderstood strategy that lets you launch a product without a hint of inventory. Sounds too good to be true. You're about to find out just how possible it is. We're not alone on this journey. I am joined by the one and only Vance Lee, an e-commerce entrepreneur with 13 years experience in brand growth and marketing. And since venturing into Amazon FBA in 2015, he's crafted a winning formula for crowdfunding in the pre-order launch strategy. This is not just a claim because he could back that up. He scaled brands, launched products that have collectively raised over 7 million, and he holds a two record-breaking launches both ranking number one most funded in their respective niches and sitting pretty in the top 1% of crowdfunding projects of all time. Let's see what knowledge on crowdfunding we can gain here. Welcome to the show, Vance. How are you doing? Doing amazing. Excited to be here. So Vance, uh, where are you located? Uh, I'm originally from Canada, but right now I'm living in north of Thailand in a city called Chiang Mai. So it's a, a, mountain, a mountain city in the north of Chiang Mai. So you're a... You're living that that full-time digital nomad life. How long can you stay in one place before you're no longer a nomad and you just live there? <laughs> Good question. I think we need to create like a nomad handbook or something for this. But uh, for me, I, I've, I've actually started to slow down my traveling. So instead of at the beginning, it was like a week, two weeks at a new place and just constantly traveling. Now I'm at a place for at least three months and... Uh, and I'm really enjoying kind of this like slower pace of traveling as a nomad. The okay, and you know, doing everything online and I've like I would imagine entirely remote is what enables this. Uh, exactly. So uh, my team's remote and everything is remote. And so you've got. It sounds like you've got at least a decade experience here. Is that right? 
yeah, I mean, e-commerce about eight years and uh, before that marketing agency experience, I uh, had a video production agency in Toronto, uh, worked on uh, brand campaigns and a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, but that was, that was very localized to Toronto before I, before I branched out to, um, to the online business in the online world. How did that e-commerce journey start for you? I had a friend that was in, that was selling products on Amazon. And he made it sound super easy. <laughs> and I started doing research online and all those people made it sound super easy as well. So I thought, okay, well. It, was it super easy? I mean, it definitely was not super easy. There was a lot of work involved, a lot of figuring out uh, so many details and things that all the, the courses and the gurus don't tell you about. So <laughs> jumped into it and it was actually a lot of work. It was way more work than I expected, but I was able to make it work. My first product was this kind of like really quirky product. It was a uh, silicone wedding rings. It was just like a random category oh, okay. that I found doing doing research on Amazon. And uh, silicone wedding rings were essentially wedding rings that you'd wear if you couldn't wear a normal wedding ring if you worked in like construction or something dangerous or if you're an athlete. You don't want to get your finger degloved. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so this this category was like a really interesting category that had a lot of uh, it was really low low price products. So it was like pennies to make this like this ring made out of silicone. And uh, what I did was I just took the, I looked at this category and said, how can we make this better? We it, the the product itself was like four to five cents. We decided to, I mean, my business partner, we decided to make the, a box that looked like a really sexy ring box. And so we're really into branding and we're really good at that stuff. So we, we made a box that cost a dollar and four cents to make. And we put this ring right in the middle of the box and we sold it uh, for, you know, for, for $20. Whereas all the other people that were competing on Amazon were just selling uh, just the rings themselves, putting them into a plastic bag. And so we, we did a really good job with the branding stuff. And we just dominated that category for... Uh, for quite some time before we decided to, to to not sell in that category anymore. So that's how my Amazon journey started. What year was that? 2015. Still easier then, less competitive, but definitely not not competitive. Did you at any point consider going, all right, let's, let's move out of Amazon, build our own brand, or try other channels? Yes. Uh, well, kind of by... It was almost by force. It wasn't something that I was originally thinking, okay, let's let's move off Amazon. Uh, the, we were sold the Amazon dream. So we we're like, okay, let's go into Amazon. This is a, this is the path to to go about being being successful in e-commerce. But in just in in Q3, Q4 of 2016, Amazon changed their uh, TOS, so their terms of service. Before this, um, I don't know if you're familiar with kind of like the Amazon TOSs, but before this time period in 2016, they had this period where you're, it was okay to get um, essentially fake reviews. They called it honest and biased reviews. So you can give away your product to somebody. And uh, as long as they wrote, they can leave a review. And as long as they wrote, this is an honest and biased review, they can leave any review and it would stay on Amazon. <laughs> so <laughs> this was like yeah, a- long, Look, the guy who sold it to me said it was good. <laughs> exactly. What's going on here? He said he's not lying. Exactly. Yeah. So this was 2016. And uh, Q3 or Q4 around that time, uh, they announced that they would no longer allow for honest, unbiased reviews. So that was a that was a big shocker for a lot of people that were using that as the only launch strategy at the time. And that's what I was doing. So uh, this was a huge issue because I just invested uh, a lot of money into d developing a product, and it was in the process of getting manufactured. So this was um, I was entering the coffee coffee niche at the time. And oh, what's the product? 
the product uh, was a cold brew coffee maker that, uh, oh, okay. that I called the Arctic. And so this was getting manufactured. Uh, lots of inventory was coming. So it was thirty to $50,000 of inventory. And uh, it, it was just, it was coming. And we had no idea how we were going to sell it. And so we started looking at uh, what are the other options? If Amazon isn't going to work the way that we want it to work, uh, let's see what other options there were. So we looked at Shopify. Uh, and then I looked at uh, Kickstarter. And Kickstarter was something that I never thought about as an e-commerce platform because I just I was a customer there and I just bought two or three things from Kickstarter. I thought it was a really cool concept. I looked at Kickstarter and said, hey, this could actually be something that we could try to launch on. And so we did a little bit of research and we said, hey, this isn't that different than launching on Amazon. There, there are nuances that are different, but we said, okay, we still need similar things. We need our assets. We need the, the things that make this look, uh, look presentable as a product. We need the copy. All that stuff is important. Uh, what else do we need that's different? Well, we needed a video. So uh, we said, okay, let's let's figure this out. Let's try to launch this on Kickstarter because we it was a very cool product and it was a very unique product. The design was very uh, interesting. And so we said, okay, let's try to launch this on Kickstarter. And that's what we did. So instead of launching on Amazon, uh, we had this inventory that was getting manufactured and we said, hey, let's launch this on Kickstarter. And we ended up doing really, really well. Uh, we ended up raising about 650,000 on Kickstarter and we did another 200K-ish on Indiegogo when we moved over there. And we also did about 90, almost $100,000 in upsell. So that was uh, a $950,000 launch that came from a product that we originally wanted to launch on Amazon, but we figured out how we could do this on Kickstarter. So that that's pretty much, uh, to answer your question, uh, it was kind of like an unintentional exploration of what else we could do outside of Amazon. And it ended up being Kickstarter that we thought, hey, we're onto something here. And I think a lot of people that are having challenges launching on Amazon or building a brand or building an audience, this could be a way to do it. So that's how we got introduced to Kickstarter. For people who aren't familiar, just give us the quick background. What is what is Kickstarter? What is crowdfunding? <laughs> great, great question. So um, essentially, crowdfunding is um, when you want to raise money. For, so crowdfunding wasn't necessarily just for e-commerce. It was for many things where people can... Uh, the idea was we want to launch something. We want to launch a project. Uh, we need money for it. So uh, instead of getting it from one investor, a lot of people would kind of chip in to, to make this happen. So it's uh, crowdfunding the project. So in the context of e-commerce, uh, Kickstarter was this uh, platform for launching product ideas. So back then, a lot of actually pretty interesting products that we all know about nowadays were launched on Kickstarter. So the Pebble Watch... Uh, Oculus Rift, like all these interesting products were actually originally product, uh, product concepts. We is When you think of first smartwatch, people probably, it's like, well, Apple Watch created that category. No, it was that e-ink watch, Pebble. I had one. But I no, the, my first Kickstarter project that I backed was the Fidget Cube, and I still have it. And it was like the limited edition SNES colors, which like they were ahead of the curve on retro gaming being cool. Um, and it's still on my desk, still have it. And I remember being like so disappointed that when that product launched, before they were able to ship it, they were already selling knockoffs on AliExpress. Yes, uh, that was a oh, very brutal. famous situation. For, that was a very, very well-known story for uh, for Fidget Cube. I remember that. Uh, but yeah, so the idea is people come together to support a product launch. And so if you have an idea, so originally it was for unique ideas, but now as it's evolved over the past 10, 15 years, People are launching fairly regular products on Kickstarter now, but they're using it kind of as a way to uh, to launch without inventory and also to build an audience and build some credibility before they go on to whatever channel of their choice that they want to they want to scale up. 
So that's kind of like the the Kickstarter in a nutshell. And then one thing I want to address here is we're not discussing Shopify. It is not because this is unrelated to Shopify. It's because when you are building a brand and or a new product, the hardest part is getting that initial set of orders, getting that initial customer base. Once you have that, life gets much easier. Once you've moved past that initial launch phase, you know, even if ten, one person buys 10 people, 100 people, then, ah, now you're getting somewhere. And so we often have to look at borrowing other people's audiences, getting in front of other people's audiences. Well, marketplaces like eBay, Amazon, and uh, Kickstarter, unique though it may be, it's still a marketplace. And the the advantage there is this is going to make it easier to get in front of other people, new eyeballs and qualified eyeballs. Like fundamentally, if they're on that marketplace, they're at the very least interested in browsing. And so, okay, good. That can drive brand awareness. And so that's why we're... Kickstarter is a platform so interesting uh, because you don't have to have that inventory. I don't have to take the... I have to go through the product development, but I don't have to be waiting on inventory. Like that's the situation you are in. And that was great because you knew you had the inventory coming by the time um, the campaign started. But if you don't, right, that's in theory like you're raising the money on Kickstarter to pay for manufacturing. The the initial inventory order, exactly, yeah. And a lot of people that are coming in, either new entrepreneurs or even people that are existing entrepreneurs that want to launch new products, putting out a a bunch of cash can be kind of risky. So it's the idea here is how can we minimize the the inventory risk, which is most of the stuff, because when it comes to launching a campaign, a lot of the assets that you're creating, whether you launch on Shopify or Amazon or Kickstarter, you'll need those assets. You'll need copy, you'll need photos. Uh, Kickstarter, nowadays, you, you need a nice video. And I would argue that that's going to get you to be competitive on the other platforms anyways. But this, you're not making stuff that you wouldn't normally make. So th- so you would be making those assets anyways, but you're you're kind of putting yourself in a situation where you don't have to put that twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars in inventory, so that mitigates the risk of launching. And so, whether you're a new entrepreneur that's launching a product, or if you're an established entrepreneur, this also has many advantages to not only cash flow but minimizing risk and being able to ha- actually be cash flow positive from the launch. And so, in your case, like you were on Amazon, and you had. A, a working strategy. You started simple with the silicone rings, which are the big advantage that they're inexpensive, they don't break, they're easy to ship. Um, and then you're like, all right. But you know, when you're selling a product, that how much were you selling those silicone rings for? Uh, Nineteen ninety-seven or something like that. So twenty bucks essentially. So it, it's tough to build huge, like bigger revenue businesses with that lower AOV. Versus what were you? What was going to be the retail on your cold brew coffee maker? Uh, it was like 69, 59, 69 range, uh, depending on the accessories. Okay. So we've got, we've, we've tripled our, uh, our base price of our core product here. And the strategy with, at that time was get a bunch of questionable reviews and Amazon said, all right, no, 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 that loophole is closed. You're done with that. And so you went to Kickstarter. What made you opt for Kickstarter over anything else? Crowd, so when we talk about this kind of approach, we call this crowdfunding. And um, within crowdfunding, so, Kickstarter is the biggest platform. Um, there's another platform called Indiegogo. They do very similar things. Um, but we opted for Kickstarter because we knew that they were the biggest at the time. And at, at that point, 
we're in a situation where we just wanted to really, the, the cash was a big deal for us. We were having really big challenges with launching products and not being able to get the get enough cash for the second order. So we put a lot of money into the first order and we'd sell it out. And by the time we'd sell it out, we need to pay for the second order. And at that point, we were like, oh, crap. Uh, with a lot of the Amazon strategies or um, you know, with the, with the ad spending, we dump a lot of money into it and we didn't get as much money as we needed back compared to how much we invested initially. So this was a big challenge in terms of cash flow. And uh, any e-com entrepreneur that you talk to has this type of challenge, whether you should sell on Amazon or Shopify. Generally, cash flow challenges are, are very common. And the common misconception is that when you get more successful and you get bigger, the cash flow challenges go away. Well, that's actually not true. If you're going bigger and you start scaling more and you need more inventory, the cash flow problems actually amplify. So we're running into a yeah, lot of these issues. Compounding. Exactly. Yeah. So we're running into a lot of these issues. And so uh, Kickstarter seemed like the perfect option because it's, well, we didn't actually, well, our, in our situation, we actually already ordered the inventory. But what it did for us was when we sold that um, $950,000 on Kickstarter for this, for this campaign, uh, we still spent the $50,000 in, um, in cash for the, uh, for the inventory. But in this particular situation, it was crazy because we had all of this extra cash. So it kind of put us ahead in terms of cash flow. So this is very uncommon for e-commerce. But to be able to have that type of opportunity to get ahead in terms of cash flow, that's going to be a really cool situation because now you can say, okay, well, I want to buy more inventory or I want to invest in marketing or maybe, hey, I'm building this brand. Let me launch another product or I can. There's a lot of things that you can you can do when you're in the driver's seat with cash. And that was a really massive advantage with um, with Kickstarter. Black Friday got you freaking? Get your store ready for the holiday rush with Zipify One Click Upsell. With Zipify One Click Upsell, you can capture 10 to 15% more revenue all season long by offering upsells and cross sells with every purchase. In just a few clicks, you can add highly profitable upsell funnels to your entire store, including on your product pages, shopping cart, order confirmation pages, and now, for the first time ever, even on the shop app with sky high conversion rates of 16% and an average order value increase of $18 per upsell, one-click upsell has generated over half a billion dollars for Shopify stores like yours. Install it and launch your first upsell in just a few minutes to start generating 10 to 15% more revenue today. To get your Shopify store ready for Black Friday, go to zipify.com slash Kurt and start your 30-day free trial. That's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot com slash K-U-R-T. And to get an unadvertised gift, email help at zipify.com and ask for the holiday bonus. Really, you said, all right, the route we're going to go is crowdfunding, and it worked out very well. Between Kickstarter and Indiegogo, what the heck's the difference? Like, Indiegogo has always, this totally unfair, it's always seemed less legitimate to me. I've never bought anything from Indiegogo. Yeah, I think your perception is right, because um, Indiegogo uh, has always been open to accepting projects that were not um that were not working projects yet so they they've been open to the idea of accepting concept projects so uh, kickstarter does not allow you to uh, get approved unless you show a physical working prototype so um i mean for a lot of categories that's irrelevant like if it's like a, a towel or like a knife you're you're okay but for things like electronic products that were kind of like interesting that they were supposed to, they were claimed to do something interesting for maybe like training your brain or 
you know, like health detection or something like that, uh, you wouldn't be able to launch that on Kickstarter unless you actually had a physical working prototype. Indiegogo, um, I'm not sure if it's changed recently um, because I've seen, you know, they've had a lot more legit products recently. But uh, Indiegogo, for the longest time, has allowed for uh, concept products to launch. So uh, that's kind of uh, a lot of people's loophole into crowdfunding was to launch on Indiegogo. But in general, uh, between the two platforms, very similar idea, very similar structures. Um, but Kickstarter has a way bigger audience, at least at this current time. And Indiegogo, um, quite a bit smaller. But in, when it comes to uh, the way that they operate, in, uh, Indiegogo allows for something called um, uh, par partial funding. So if you don't, let's say you want to raise $50,000 and you hit $30,000, they will still allow you to take the $30,000. Kickstarter does not allow for that. So if you hit $30,000 when your goal is 50, um, you wouldn't get any of it. So uh, Kickstarter operates on this um, principle called all or nothing funding. So that's the difference. Th th that's the main difference in uh, terms of how they operate. I didn't operate. know that Indiegogo didn't, would do the partial funding. They, they do allow that, yeah. So given your experience, who is an ideal, like what kind of merchant product brand is an ideal candidate and who should absolutely not bother? So this is a question I'm asked a lot. And if we take a look at it from the perspective of whether or not you're a new entrepreneur or an existing entrepreneur, um, if we look at it from that perspective, whether you're new or existing um, or you've launched 12 products or 20 products, uh, Kickstarter is going to be effective for both situations. So if you're new and you have an issue with cash flow and you don't want to overinvest and you don't want to over leverage in terms of um, risk, it's an awesome idea for you uh, because the idea here is you're you're minimizing your risk and you're able to still kind of put your product idea out there to launch and get feedback and validation and funding. Uh, same thing with um, with a person that's bigger. If you're launching a product and you already have a lot of products under your belt, this is still going to give you the same advantages. And of course, cash flow benefits everyone and minimizing risk benefits everyone. So that's, um, regardless if you're new or big, um, this is still going to be something that can benefit uh, benefit you. All you're looking to do is essentially launch a product with a bit of a better uh, launch strategy. So um, that's, for that perspective, whether you're new or you're existing uh, business works, works pretty well. When it comes to product ideas, um, what I'd like to say is that you want to aim for something that's going to be at least a little bit unique, whether it's the product itself or the positioning itself. We've seen lots of different weird categories do well. Anything from anything from food. Uh, we had a an example of uh, someone we worked with. They were called Fly by Jing. That was the brand. It was a hot sauce. Uh, these guys launched. I mean, hot sauce uh, like a Sichuan Chinese hot sauce. I mean, this is the kind of stuff you see at the grocery store at the bottom shelf for like three dollars or two dollars, something like that. But these guys launched on Kickstarter. Uh, they raised one hundred twenty thousand dollars, and they used this as a way to kind of scale into uh, Walmart, uh, Target, Whole Foods, Amazon. They have their own website that has one hundred fifty thousand. Uh, well, they use Shopify. One hundred fifty thousand visitors a month. It's like a crazy thing, but it, it all happened from building their initial audience from uh, from from the Kickstarter launch. But yes, anything from food all the way to technology, all the way to like kitchen products all the way to pet products. Like We've seen lots of projects be very successful, but the thing that they have in common is that they have a unique angle that they're presenting the product, or they're presenting the product in a unique way that hasn't been seen for a new audience. So some element of uniqueness is really going to make you stand out in, these, uh, in this type of um, in this type of environment where people are actually looking for something that, they, that, that they're compelled to be like, hey, this is really interesting. Let me find out a little bit more about it. I... I think it's the novelty, right? There is a 
when I go to Kickstarter, it is because I'm like, I, I want to burn 50, 60 bucks on something novel and interesting that may or may not happen. Like I enjoy the, the moonshot gambling aspect of it. And then I, from experience, I know whatever timeline they give me, just hack like 12 months onto that. You're never getting your thing in the time that everybody thinks. They're overly optimistic. Um, you know, I bought a keyboard that took over a year. <laughs> the, uh, the fidget cube, of course, was like mired in issues um, and arrived. But it, 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 you, you get your stuff. There's just a delay. And on the projects where I didn't get my stuff, I did eventually get a refund, which was pretty good. But you mentioned like it's, it's a no-risk situation. Is it really no risk? Like, how can I screw this up and how can I do it right? I mean, it's no inventory risk. So that's like the biggest chunk of a lot of risk for people. Uh, I mean, if you're going through a launch and you're going to, going to the process of creating uh, assets, you'll still need to invest in all the things that you would, if you were to launch on Shopify or Amazon, you need to make this uh, launch look legit, right? So you're going to be investing in the creative assets like photo, video, copy, all the stuff that makes this product presentable. So there is a there is risk, but this is not going to be different than the risk that you would have to launch this product on another platform, except you're not paying for the inventory. Uh, and then of course there's lots of ways that you can <laughs> you can definitely screw it up, and we've seen almost all of them. But I think one of the biggest um, one of the biggest ways that people screw up when it comes to launches is that they don't prepare in advance. They they think that they can launch the campaign and just somehow it's going to be successful and people are going to find it and they love it. Uh, this might have been possible when Kickstarter first launched and it was a really cool idea and there weren't a lot of products, but now nowadays it's actually really challenging. So um, we put a lot of emphasis uh, on the pre-launch phase, which is essentially all of the work that you do leading up to the second that you go live on Kickstarter. So that part of it is super important. And uh, during that part, we do a lot of different things, which we can go into. Uh, but one of the most important things is to build your community and build your audience that's going to support you. And too many projects go live without that at all, or without really having fully developed a community that's going to want to support them when it comes to the launch. And so that's, I think, one of the most common ways that people mess up uh, a launch. And if you're going to invest money into and money and time and effort into building a launch, that's definitely one of the parts that you want to nail because. At the end of the day, when you build an audience and a community that supports your launch, these people are, and you hinted at this earlier when you talked about, uh, you know, we're talking about not exactly Shopify, but this applies, of course, to building a brand on Shopify. Because at the end of the day, if somebody supports you on uh, your project when you launch on Kickstarter, then these people are likely to support you in the future. So these are going to be likely your, your fans for your brand as you move your product to Shopify. As you launch accessories or you launch new products on Shopify, they're going to be the people that come to support you because they followed your your process, your journey into launching this product, and they feel like they're connected to your brand. So this is a this is a really cool way to build kind of this brand loyalty in a way that is not really that possible with just like a kind of like a transactionary thing, whether it's on Amazon or somebody just saw the product and they bought it. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting way to develop a strong relationship with your audience. And so this is one of the benefits of being able to use this launch process as a way to build that audience and build that community. I accept the importance of community building. And I think inherent to that is like you're you're trying to you're getting people emotionally invested while also validating the product and idea 
and hopefully going through like some kind of iterative feedback loop there where you're sh- you're working in public building a community they're getting invested and they're helping you revise and improve that product conceptually i get that trying to get started with it you know from zero seems very difficult to talk me through that that pre that all important pre-launch phase before i've even picked a platform decided what to do i'm in product development audience building community building what's that look like yeah great question and so a lot of people don't do this and a lot of people that launch on crowdfunding they might go kind of like the easy route of just running ads to a landing page and uh, getting people to opt into their email so that's definitely something that should be done but that uh, if you only do that you don't get the benefit of being able to kind of work with your audience and build that deeper connection so what we like to do is as early as people come into this at different phases some people come with just a product concept idea or some sketches uh, on the other end of the spectrum, we have people coming with um, full-out, already developed products that are uh, that are ready to manufacture. So, depending on where you are, you're going to have a bit of a different um, a different take on how much you can actually incorporate the, the community in giving you feedback. But uh, what we like to do is as early as possible. So, regardless, let's let's say you've developed your product and you have the first prototype. Um, if that's that's where you are coming into this, that's the stage where you want to be building your audience and and connecting with them to try to get feedback. So what we like to do is we like to start with um, building the audience. And the, the, the earliest phase that we focus on is we focus on what we call um, customer development or community feedback, which is essentially pitching the idea to them and saying, hey, we have this idea. Uh, and you know, this let's say we're at the stage of the product is kind of ready. Uh, we have a prototype. It's like, hey, here are the features. Here are the benefits. Um, here's what it looks like. Um, you know, here's what we, we, we've really wanted to put into this product. Uh, what do you think? And there's a structure to asking this, but really the idea is we want to we want to get two pieces of information from them. So when it comes to the product, there's two main categories of information we can get back. So one, uh, number one is a product, the actual feedback on the product itself, so the physical product itself. And number two is um, product positioning, so how to present the product so it's going to be successful. Uh, if you're in the early stage of your product development, where it's concept or you're just kind of like working out early, uh, early kind of um, sample making phases, you can ha- you can actually take the feedback about the product and say, hey, uh, I have five ideas for features, but it's going to, of course, it's going to cost me a little bit of extra money to either develop it or to incorporate these features into it. Let's start asking our community uh, what features they think are most relevant. And maybe they, you know, they, everybody's like, hey, you know, number one and two, those are the best ones. Um, three, four, five, not so important. And if that's the case and you get that feedback, you can actually incorporate that feedback now because you're not that far along in your product development to be able to kind of exclude a feature three, four, five. And what you've done is you've saved some money, uh, you've actually created a product that people want, and uh, you may be able to lower the price point because you're not incorporating all these kind of other things into it that people actually don't want. So uh, that's product feedback. Uh, number two is uh, product positioning. So uh, let's say, I mean, this is relevant for both, you know, whether you're new, your product is... Uh, in the early stages or later stages, but if your product is at a stage where it can't really change at all because it's per, you're, you're very, very far along, then product positioning is really valuable because product positioning is how you're going to actually market and sell the product. So we want to incorporate people's feedback into this by saying, okay, well, we have you know these benefits. What benefits are most interesting to you? Which taglines are most interesting to you? Um, you know, if you're doing at this phase of like choosing colors or like packaging or that type of thing, what you know what's most like what's most appealing to you when you look at these photos. And this allows you to take this feedback 
and incorporate this into building the actual campaign page. So when you're actually launching, you're going to make assets like photos, videos, you're going to write copy. So if you're going to be if you're going to be interacting with the audience for uh, for being able to get feedback, this is going to save you potentially lots of money that you're going to be dumping into ads to make sure that the ads that you're making are going to be the best one. Um, this is going to save you a lot of money when it comes to making sure that you you create the page and shoot the right assets, like in terms of photo and video, in the right way that's going to be most appealing to the audience, so that it's going to convert the best. So. Uh, these are the two things that we generally try to get our communities involved in because it has a direct impact on the product itself and the way that we choose to market the product. And so this is going to allow us to make sure that, number one, people want what we're selling. And number two, uh, they're going to they're going to respond positively to the way that we're selling it. And so this is valuable for any type of launch. But when it comes to um, crowdfunding, this is extremely valuable because before we decide we want to start making all these assets, investing in video, dumping money into ads, this is that step that most people miss and to be able to actually incorporate this feedback from the community. So this is a key element of, um, of this phase of, um, of pre-launch. So this is really, we're, this is simultaneously research and development, audience, like customer journey exploration, and our product development and all part of this pre-launch strategy. And what I was immediately, my mind ran to, it's like, okay, I developed this product with them. You know, all this community info is happening online and I could survey these people. I could ask them questions. I could figure out what they like about it, what's important and the language they use. If I can get all that, now I need to be able to communicate that to people who are seeing my product for the first time when it goes live on Kickstarter. And so I can get a copywriting formula from a site like Copy Hackers, and I've got all my info. I could put all this into ChatGPT and be like, hey, figure this out, you know, why people are buying, why they care, what they like about it, what kind of person they think it's for, et cetera, and then uh, have it apply all that to a, a copywriting formula for like a, a sales letter and get, at the very least, I can get a really good first draft out of this that is based on actual customer feedback and written in the customer's voice because how i talk about it is never going to be how my customers talk about it so and that's the like that research that real data is the thing you can't fake with chat gpt you cannot fake genuine primary sources of data with ai i mean you can but it's made up you know it's not going to help you that much exactly yeah so like when i have that now i'm so much more confident in my launch, because I have real people telling me, I mean, they're not going to lie to you. They're going to be, if something doesn't work or it's a stupid idea, strangers on the internet will absolutely be willing to tell you that. And so if you could get this community behind you, that really should up your confidence level here. Exactly. And we want to do this way before we create the landing, the the actual campaign page or landing pages. Uh, a lot of people will just skip to landing pages because they want to say, hey, let's just start running ads. Let's get people to uh, opting in. And it, this this could work. It's possible, but it's unlikely to be as effective when your landing page isn't even communicating. I mean, first of all, we're not sure if people want your product in the way that you've created it. But secondly, if you're creating a landing page to communicate what your product is about, how do you know that's what people want? How much? How many people have you talked to? And in a lot of situations, entrepreneurs are kind of working in their basement, and they're just like, "Hey, this is a great idea," and they're kind of like in their own echo chamber. And maybe they'll ask a friend or a family member, and 
family members are usually very supportive and it's like yeah that's awesome and you know that's yeah. not the feedback yeah, your that we mom need is never going to tell you it's a terrible idea <laughs> exactly and that's yeah, not the might. feedback that she we might. need so at the early stages we want to catch this as soon as possible because we might be if you're early stages in product development you might be dumping tens of thousands of dollars into a mold or something like this uh, of course you don't want yeah. to do that without being clear that your concept is going to be what people want um we had a we had a a, a member of our program um they were really they were kind of in the collectibles category so they wanted to they they wanted to do something with funko pops and it was kind of a cool concept where they uh the the founder really loved this it was about putting additional like it's kind of like dressing up your funko pops if you, are you familiar with funko pops it's like these uh oh absolutely yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean who does not have a few funko pops somewhere <laughs> in their house <laughs> So yeah, he she had this awesome idea with like he, well he thought it was awesome. He essentially wanted to put these kind of like um, stickers on the Funko Pop so you can kind of like dress up your Funko Pop and uh, it was he patented it too. Like he was so excited he patented this idea. He started building his community and the community he built it of uh, influencers. Like uh, he had regular people in these collectibles kind of the collectibles world. He had influencers that were like posting Funko Pop stuff all the time, like YouTube creators. He he, he built a massive community. And he started asking them, like, hey, what do you think about this idea? And uh, the, the feedback that he got wasn't very positive. And, <laughs> and so he oh, ended no. up, I mean, so it, this, was, Nick, this was not positive and also positive at the same time. Because he got the feedback that wasn't what he wanted to hear. But at the same time, he got the feedback that, that was helpful for him. So he ended up deciding to, 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 to slash the project. It, it, it like it hurt it, like it was his baby he had this awesome idea he really wanted to follow through with it but he kind of cut the project out and uh he focused on what else can i launch and then because he already had this community the community was like hey this is what we want and he ended up getting some suggestions for awesome ideas he had a few other concepts and he ended up settling with a concept which was uh, these top loader binders for collecting um uh, sports cards pokemon cards that type of thing uh, launched it 200k uh, on his launch awesome campaign and he had a lot of support from this community who was kind of following his journey the entire time it was it was a great campaign uh, and he kind of incorporated this community in this entire process and how awesome is it to be a, a part of this community where the where the founder of this company was kind of connecting with you getting your feedback and following through kind of these interesting ideas and end up uh, end up supporting a project that you really saw kind of how it evolved over time and so this is a really good example of feedback that that saved him tens of thousands of dollars in months of time because he could have just gone through with this and it wouldn't it wouldn't have gone the way that he wanted to go and he got this feedback way earlier than he wanted or the, the way way earlier than um than the launch of course imagine losing out on 30 percent of your sales simply because your tracking isn't accurate inaccurate or insufficient data tracking can lead to wrong decisions and missed opportunities it's like sailing a ship without a compass. Ever wondered why your marketing efforts aren't yielding the expected results? The culprit could be your conversion tracking. Without proper tracking, marketing spend can feel like throwing your money into a black hole. But there's light at the end of the tunnel, Elevar. Elevar ensures 100% of your conversions are tracked and delivered to your marketing channels. Trusted by over 6,500 D2C leaders, Elevar is specifically built for Shopify, powering your analytics with complete data sets Brands like Glossier, Viore, and Magic Spoon all improve their tracking quality and site speed with Elevar. With Elevar, you can instantly deploy server-side tracking, boosting your Klaviyo flow performance by 2 to 3x and your meta performance. Every moment you wait is a potential conversion lost, 
Don't stay in the dark. Bring your data into the light. Get Elevar today and never miss another conversion. Plans start at $0 a month, plus 15-day free trials on all plans. Get Elevar.com. E-L-E-V-A-R. Elevar. We keep talking about like he, you know, people built communities. When you talk about that, what channel is it? Like, where do these communities live? You know, what app, service, network? The community can live in many different ways. And I think it depends on your audience and the type of audience you have. Um, now there's lots of different tools. But at the very minimum, uh, it's going to be, uh, for us, an email community. So, uh, and the reason, the, the difference between an email list and an email community uh, and I don't like to use the word list because list implies that there's just people that are kind of passive on this, on, on like a server that's just their, their data is there. Um, but we like to use the word community because community is really in the way that we choose to engage with them. So if they, if somebody is participating, somebody feels like uh, they have an opportunity to contribute, they feel like they have an opportunity to give, give something to this project and to the brand, then that's when we call it a community. So um, it can live on your email list. A lot of these, um, for example, with the the, the project that I just mentioned um, uh, before, his lived on Facebook, and so it was a Facebook group. So nowadays, um, you know, ins- you can build communities on Instagram as well. So there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of have this um, live. But the 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 core element of what makes a community is that people feel engaged and they feel like they can participate and contribute to what's happening with your product and your brand. So. Uh, if you can create that, you can even create a live community. Uh, you can even have you can have people meeting uh, every every month to kind of see your updates if they're in the city uh, of the product that you're developing. So it doesn't really matter, but the idea here is that the the intention and and the feeling is that they're they're participating and they feel like they're a part of what's happening with uh, with your product and your brand. Okay, I get it. So if anything, I was overthinking it. If you're starting at zero. And you have to do this before, like building landing pages and sending traffic to it. Where the heck do you get the? Tr- where do you get the list? How do you build the audience? I know that's you know, that question's like how long is a piece of string, but how would you do it? Yeah, great question. There's lots of ways to do this, and the way that we like to do this, at least when we're starting off, is with the freeways. Um, there's lots of paid ways to do it, but let's start with the freeways. So the freeways are to connect in with with existing communities where your target audience spends time. So that could be, for example, a Facebook community, that could be a Reddit community, that could be even a live community. So if you're launching, let's say, I don't know, like a tennis product or like a, uh, like a, like a running product, you could even connect with a local community in your, you know, whatever meetup in your city. And so the idea is to start connecting with people that are in your target audience, because this is what's going to allow you to find those people initially. And so when you start building momentum, you're going to be able to get referrals from people. Uh, but we really want to start off with asking the question, where does my target audience hang out? And if we ask that question, we're going to start coming up with creative ideas where we can find these people and start engaging with people at the place where they hang out. And uh, you know, there's a, there's a process that we go through this where we start engaging them, we start asking questions, and eventually it can lead to surveys or it can lead to um, even phone conversations. It can lead to sending them samples like uh, of the product and the prototype. Um, however you choose to do that, I mean, those are all kind of all optional, but like the idea here is you want to engage with people to to start having conversations about the, the, the product. And so the question I usually ask is, where where does your audience hang out? And that's going to differ depending on your target audience for your niche and, and kind of the demographics of what that looks like. What are their watering holes? That's what uh, 
Amy Hoy would say, and she has like a, she calls this customer safari. You need to go on a safari to find your customers, locate their watering holes, and then like a nature photographer, sneak up in there and start start talking to people, start observing them, start figuring it out. And you're right. It, it's such a difficult question because that's going to be totally different depending on who it is. Like if you're, you know, maybe that's Reddit. Maybe that's a Facebook group. Maybe it's local meetups. Um, maybe there's a Slack community you could join, right? There's lots of places, but once you immerse yourself in it, that, that you're going to start finding it. And if you don't know it, you know, um, like that is a great litmus test for, am I ready? Do I know enough here to go forward? And if you don't know those watering holes, okay, no, you've not gotten deep enough in it. Would you agree with that? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, at the minimum, you should understand your target audience. So um, if you understand them enough to understand where they hang out, that's I think that's the bare minimum to to at least start this process of saying, hey, let's let me learn more about these people. Maybe uh, we have somebody working on um, a smart ring right now, kind of a, a ring that you can use to control your music and uh, to do a bunch of interesting things. And uh, they, they started looking at um, productivity groups uh, because that was their target audience. They wanted to mm. target people that were interested. It was a really unobvious one because they were saying, okay, well, where can I find this audience? We I can't go into the groups of... Um, existing smart ring well he did that also just to kind of do some preliminary research but it's like it's so unobvious about where i can find my target audience well the question was well what do you want to what do you want your product to uh, connect with when it comes to your audience like is it around um uh, is it around health is it around productivity and he narrowed it down to kind of productivity and effectiveness and kind of like um uh, he had this category with like athletes like a cyclist as well because you can use this while you're uh, on a on a on a bike um, so the the idea was, how can you think creatively about where your audience hangs out? And that's going to be your first entry point into uh, at least kind of seeing how this community operates and how they, what kind of things they talk about or what things that they're interested in or, or what kind of language that they use. And that's going to be a really cool way to kind of, uh, kind of step into that. You've broken crowdfunding records twice. For those campaigns, how long... How important was that community building pre-launch uh, phase? Yeah. So um, with my first campaign, uh, that was there was a lot of luck involved in that. So there's barely any community <laughs> development involved. Now, lots of ads, and that was kind of the uh, that was kind of like my entry in, into crowdfunding. The the great thing about when you launch a successful campaign is that those people are automatically your community. So my next product that I launched, I already had a bit of a community from the first campaign. So actually the the idea and the concept be, with my second launch, which was um, called the Bensi, they were um, these glasses that enhanced the the smell and taste of coffee. So it sounds kind of weird. It sounds kind of like woo and doesn't work, but it's actually built off the uh, the principles behind wine and whiskey glasses. So I launched this and uh, what was really cool about that was this idea came from the community in a way. They, they suggested, hey, we were looking for cups, like what kind of cool ideas can you, can you make? For coffee cups, and this is kind of how this uh, evolved. And um, so this this community that we had from our first campaign actually helped us uh, build our, our our essentially our second product uh, when it came to launching on crowdfunding. So um, and when we actually launched, we had about that campaign raised about two hundred and twenty thousand dollars on Kickstarter, uh, maybe another ninety on Indiegogo afterwards. But uh, what happened was in the first launch on Kickstarter. We had about forty thousand dollars worth of income uh, revenue that came from previous backers. We tracked this 
to our previous customers that were from our first campaign. So right from launch right away, we already had $40,000 of, of sales that came from existing people. So that cost absolutely nothing. So that was really cool. So um, this is a situation, once you start building your audience, you can start kind of like compound compound interest marketing on uh, on the people that you've already kind of accumulated. And, and if you do this again, you're going to have more audience, et cetera. Um, so that- oh, compound interest marketing. That's- the magic, magic phrase to my ears. <laughs> uh, exactly, yeah. All right. So we've gone, we're going a little long here, and I have at least seven more questions I could ask, but I want to know, you are a wealth of knowledge. Believe you have a course for this, where you've, you've put a lot of this info together, right? Tell me about it. So our course is called the Launch Accelerated Blueprint, and this was um, this was pretty much put together from our knowledge of launching our own products and um, helping a lot of our um, agency clients launch their products as well. So this is kind of taking the system that we call the Launch Accelerated Blueprint and putting it into a um, a program that allows you to take a look at this and to launch your own products. And so the it takes you from the beginning process of ideation and concept all the way to what happens um, at the launch and after the launch, because of course, um, the launch is only the beginning. So uh, we're on a Shopify podcast here. Um, so the idea here is Kickstarter is not the be all end all. Um, once we have a successful campaign, we have to want to be able to take that and scale that into the real world. So um, that's where Shopify comes along. That's where Amazon comes along. So um, this takes you from the beginning phases of ideation all the way to um, launch and then post-launch. And that's what the course is all about. And we've had, especially you know, 10 years ago, early in our career, a lot of brands that we started new Shopify stores for were existing brands that had had successful Kickstarter campaigns or um, successful Amazon stores. And then you, know, after you get to a point where you go, okay, I want to own more of this process. You know, I want to have a, a more branded, controlled experience. And that's where you have to start building your own playground with you know, your own domain name, uh, ideally, on a Shopify store. And I want to know, what would your advice be? You've got so much experience, but if I'm an existing Shopify merchant, I've got a product idea rattling around in my head. Crowdfunding sounds real attractive. What's your advice? Um, I mean... If you have an existing store and you have an existing audience that you're already selling to, this is an amazing situation to be in because uh, if you're not already, and I, I, I would say that 99% of uh, store owners are not doing this, uh, they're not engaging with their audience. They might send sales newsletters once a month or they yeah. might sell, you know, this like a very normal kind of like uh, campaign based stuff, but they're not connecting with their target audience. They're not connecting with them and saying, hey, uh, we're we have this product idea or we have these three product ideas, which one would you like to see? So my first recommendation would be to actually kind of start seeing how you can look at your audience as a community and uh, and use that as a way to kind of solidify your idea or to refine it. And, and if it's interesting to you and you think that the advantages of crowdfunding, for example, to be able to have the cash flow and to be able to build a larger audience or Kickstarter's audience and all those types of things that we've discussed today, if that's interesting to you, then you can kind of t take a look and say, "Hey, what would it take to uh, what would it take to actually take some steps into launching on uh, crowdfunding or Kickstarter?" And uh, I actually have a few resources that you can check out on my site to 
I was get you started with that and we're all free. And remind me what that site is again? Uh, LiveMyFlightGround.com and we can also post a link if that uh, works easier for everyone. So LiveMyFlightGround, so L-I-V-E, uh, my M-Y, Playground, Plate. And I'll include that in the show notes. So tap or swipe up on the show art uh, and then I'll, you'll get to the show notes. Here's my plug. I've got this app. It's called Crowdfunder and it gives you a Kickstarter style widget that you could put on a product page. And so you start your inventory at zero because it's a pre-order. And as inventory ticks down, those appear as part of a progress bar. And you set your goal, whether that's units sold or dollar value and your end date. Can I apply, like, let's say I'm not, you know, I'm not necessarily a candidate for Kickstarter. I've already got the successful store. Can I apply these same strategies on, you know, my own store with an app like mine or, you know, anywhere else that gives me this style crowdfunding experience? Absolutely. I mean, I think the idea here is just how can you build up your audience and how can you get them excited for your launch? And well, I mean, in the process of building up your audience, it's how can we validate the product idea? How can we make sure it's being presented in a way that they want to buy it? So all these principles still apply to any type of product launch. So, I mean, definitely you could use it if you have this plugin that allows you to do this on your store. Um, and so if that's if that makes more sense for you, awesome. Um, if you think you can make use of Kickstarter in terms of being able to grow your audience and access new, uh, new uh, like a new audience, then you're not necessarily connecting with with just connecting with your existing customers and your list. Then this is a uh, this is where a Kickstarter would have a bit of an advantage to kind of grow your audience base. But if you're saying, hey, you know, I just want to keep it to my own audience uh, and I want to sell it to them, this definitely uh, you can definitely apply a lot of things that we talked about today. To, uh, to engage your audience and to use this as a process to, uh, to launch on your own store. Excellent. And uh, any chance you're active on social media or have your own communities that we could join? LiveMyPlayground.com. You can find the links there. Very good. I'll put that in the show notes. Vance, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Oh, settle down. The unofficial Shopify podcast is brought to you by Loop. Loop is a returns management platform that makes returns profitable and stress-free for you and your shoppers. Loop offers automated returns, exchanges, and store credit options to lower costs and increase revenue. Do you want to offer at-home pickup or boxless drop-offs? Need to lower return costs or increase repeat purchases? How about all of the above? That's what's possible with Loop. Loop delivers customized returns management solutions for Shopify merchants of all sizes, like Studs, Princess Polly, Code Epoxy to turn returns into returning customers. Find out why thousands of Shopify merchants choose Loop to manage their returns at loopreturns.com. That's loopreturns.com.